0: We're experiencing a mental health crisis in our country globally as well. What can we do to support positive mental health growth? I'm here today with Sarah Downey, the president and CEO of CAMH, Canada's Addiction for Mental Health. And we're going to talk about this. It's going to get real. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lee. Thank you so much for joining me. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. It's not an easy one because so many people are impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we jump into mental health and addiction, I wanted to talk about you because you have been an extraordinary health leader and now as the CEO of CAMH and also previously um, at Michael Guerin. I just want to talk about how you got to where you've gotten. Thanks. Well, so I've been working in
1: hospitals for 30 years, believe it or not. Um, I did a Bachelor of Science many, many years ago. And when I was done my Bachelor of Science, I thought I like business, but I want to find a business with a heart. And so I did a master's in health administration uh, at the University of Ottawa. And as I say, I'm a student of the healthcare system. And so uh, upon graduation, I started working in hospitals and I've had the great privilege of working in academic health science centers. I've worked in community hospitals. I've worked in cancer programs. I've worked in mental health, worked in, you know, all kinds of different aspects of hospitals. And if I know anything, I suppose it's in a way how hospitals work and how the health system is organized and at times disorganized. But uh, I'm a student of and passionate about healthcare systems.
0: Well, it really shows because even in your capacity as um, the CEO of Michael Guerin Hospital, you really led a path towards growth and bringing multiple communities, stakeholders, partners together to make a vision happen.
1: Thank you. And I
0: see you doing this as we move into Chem-H. Yeah. Well, there's no lack of purpose and passion
1: in the hospital system, that's for sure. And it's been a pleasure to... To serve it and serve the people who need
0: healthcare for a long time now. Yeah, no, I'll for sure. We need more, right? Yeah, like. I mean, so I th- I think that with mental health and addiction, it's always been something that's there. Yeah. People kind of try not to talk about it because of the stigma yeah. associated with it. But since COVID, it just feels like when the world shut down, the isolation, the you know, the lack of social interaction and everything had a profound impact because things became more so, or you yeah. know, or what whatever it was. And now as as people get back to the real world, like back to work, back to school, and all these things, things are showing up. And is it a man what is it a manifestation of? Right. I don't, I don't know, right. And a lot of it, I think, comes back down to mental health and addiction. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask you, what have you observed? Yes. <laughs> you know, what do you know from your seat? Yeah. Well,
1: um, I mean, there's been a stigma about mental illness and addiction problems, you know, forever. And we're in an age where we're destigmatizing so much. You know, I work for the organization that is the mental health is health movement and the idea that if you're struggling, you should seek help. Uh, and I'm not sure, it, so it was bad before the pandemic. And I think the the evidence is showing it's worst post-pandemic or in this peri-pandemic period because we're never quite out of it anymore. Yeah. Um, and there's many different ways to look at that. Um, and I, I don't know if we can quantify yet what all that will mean, but I, I think there are groups of people for sure who are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic and who show either signs of mental illness or early warning signs that this maybe is not okay for them. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean, I I think anybody who experiences economic hardship as a result of the pandemic, and maybe Mm -hmm. were new to our country or vulnerable in some ways probably experienced disproportionate hardship from those who had stable environments or stable homes, could had jobs where you could work from home during the pandemic. And I think, you know, seeing people sleeping in the TTC or under bridges or those kinds of things seems a lot more visible to me anyway. Maybe I see them differently now that I'm at CAMH, but I think there's a group of people like that. I, I think seniors became increasingly isolated. Yeah. and We know that isolation is a big predictor of things like advancing dementia, and yeah. the, you know, of wellness in seniors. Yeah. I felt it in the case of my own parents who lost many of their social structures and courage to go out and the risk of COVID to older people, people was clear. And then for sure, we're seeing it in our young people. I think for a number of reasons. One is they're at the ages where uh socialization is an important part of their development right you, you know i can remember taking my uh, child uh, to the pediatrician during the pandemic for regular checkup and she said to me you know at 18 months i checked to see whether kids can clap and wave this was at the height of the pandemic she says at 18 months they can clap but many kids don't know how to wave because wow. we're not socializing. When do you learn to wave? It's when you go to groups and you're in environments to say yeah. hi to people or even seeing your grandparents or whoever that might be. Yeah. So, I you know, I th- I think we don't know what the impact of social isolation has been in the long run, but we're seeing really serious early warning signs that our young people are not okay. And I think that as society, is society something we really have to get our heads around.
0: Yes, as a parent to two young people, um, that is, that really hits home because you see that when they're in school now, virtual learning yeah. didn't really work for most no. people. No. So, socialization. Um, and I we had a conversation earlier off camera just about how important it is to diagnose a few things mm. before they hit a certain age. Yeah. Can you yeah, talk yeah, about sure. that? So the really
1: interesting thing from a healthcare system perspective about mental illness is that 70% of it is diagnosable before the brain is fully developed, which for most of it is about age 25, maybe 30. Okay. And so unlike cancer or heart disease, they're not primarily diseases of aging. In fact, I read an article recently that said mental health disorders are actually chronic diseases of the young.
0: Chronic diseases of the Young. young.
1: Yeah, so imagine, 70% of this, if we could figure it out, it's early warning signs before you're an adult. Um, And Chem-H, for almost 40 years, has done surveys. Every two years, a grade 7 to grade 12 students, it's all on our website, called the Ontario Student Drug Use and Health Survey, where we asked young people, you know, their hopes for the future, about their mental health, their physical health, their use of substances. And what we know, actually, is that in the survey released in 2021, is that 59% of young people feel no hope for their future because of COVID-19.
0: 50%
1: feel no hope for the future because of uh, climate change problems.
0: That's huge.
1: It's huge. We know that substance uses are up. 33% of kids in those age groups will use high-energy drinks. They'll use alcohol. They have ready access to things in society. Many didn't learn very well through online schooling yeah we don't have systems that have adapted to kids i mean i've heard you know family saying my kid went to university without ever having really written an exam yeah y- you know like, and the anxiety right the anxiety so this is the age where this stuff presents itself and we stress them out even more and probably compromise their social de- development in some yeah. instance and so I think we really have to hear and find the warning signs in our young people and start to figure out ways to address them early, to help them through it. Because, you know, we, we know how the brain, increasingly we understand how the brain develops and the ages at which yeah. things happen. I would say when I was at Michael Garron H- Hospital, we opened an eating disorder program. So yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd never heard of so many eating disorders. So many hospitals in Ontario... Set up these programs at the height of the pandemic. You know, we see um, all why.
0: Why do you well. think that happened?
1: Well, I, I mean, I suspect it's a complicated thing, right? It's it's what over time, uh, you know, we'll see often boys use more substances. We'll see girls control their eating in different right. ways. But it's a mental health disorder. It's their ways of expressing the things they're feeling. Yeah, and they're complicated illnesses now to treat at yeah. a time of their life where their bodies are developing and their brains are still right. growing, right? And we introduce things into their system they have that affect those brain development. So, uh, you know, I think as society, we've got to get our heads around how we're going to support young people. I was speaking to the colleague of mine who's at the U of T who said 50% of students at the U of T report moderate to severe psychological distress. So what do we do? So what do we do? So, as I say, this is a movement. It takes far more than a place like CAMH, which is a big hospital that treats mental health disorders and substance use problems, way more than a place like CAMH to help to solve this crisis. And I call it a crisis. You know, I mean, I think every family doctor needs to know how to do this. I think, and I recognize the complexities of this, but every sports team, every family, every book club, every... (laughs) teacher, every university professor. You know, I think we have to look for and find ways to identify symptoms of psychological struggle and find ways to get supports to people. You know, we, we offer courses like Mental Health 101 yeah. at CAMH. You know, we have lots of reasons to, you know, but lots of tools to figure out the questions you ask people. Or people, you know, we've talked about in our social circles, people reaching out for help is to know where to direct them to. Yeah. But I tell you, it takes everybody
0: and I think, to address this. And I think that's really important of recognizing that there isn't like, oh, just go to the hospital, right? And that, that'll be the solution. Societally, um, how do we recognize, you know, like you had mentioned, yeah. like that there are signs, yeah. like what are some of the signs that yeah. we should be looking for? Yeah.
1: So I'll I'll give you an example. I had lunch with a friend of mine the other day. Her kid just started at university. She has the the tracking app on her phone, and she noticed her kid goes out to class, but then never leaves the residence. She said, should I be worried about him? So the fact that you're raising this with me, you should be worried. You know, because of his phone, that maybe something's... And maybe it's fine, but maybe something's not right. You know, major psychotic illnesses present at the age at which kids start at university. It's just biological when, you know, that point in their brains. So, you you know, like, I think we have to trust our guts. We have to look for these things. Uh, Things like, you know, safe environment, enough sleep, uh, keeping busy and structured are important things in life, but you've got to talk to young people. What about social media? Yeah. So it, for sure, you know, the use of the phone, you know, I, I mean, I have stats here from this survey um, 83% of grade seven to 12 students report three plus hours per day of screen time. And the older you get, the more you spend on your phone, even adults, even adults.
0: Like, yeah, I know so many parents who, after they put their kid to bed, they're doom scrolling. Yeah. And that's a part of like stopping on yeah. social media and people yeah. are trying to like log off of them.
1: Yeah, And to- I mean, it's changed our attention span, but the, these are, these are tough, right? Cause all kids do this right? This is a generation whose brains will have been formed in this way, right? Yeah. And so are we going to really ban phones? I don't know. If we're ready to do that in society, feels like a restriction of civil liberties, which we tend to feel pretty, you know, strongly about in our But it's country. an
0: addiction, isn't it? Would, would, would one classify it? Like, so, like, you I don't know. Like, you know, the dopamine hit of yeah. people liking a post that you did or people churning things down and yeah. you like I've so, read we about call it,
1: so we don't treat it as an addiction yeah. that way <laughs> we'd all be in treatment, I suppose if we did but things like problem you know uh, um, online gambling is yeah. an example of of addictions or too much shopping online can be you, you know you can certainly yeah. express get into more trouble yeah uh, with your addiction because of you know access easy access to the phone and to yeah. ways to purchase and do things. so they are symptoms of of addictions and, and underlying mental health challenges
0: for sure. I wanted to take a moment because I know you had such great clarity Mm. of like the top three things for mental health and addiction. Like how do we address it? Yeah. Yeah. So let's do on that because I know that our conversation is going to go like this,
1: but right now, the top three things. The top three things I can think of is A, we all have to see ourselves as people who can help people in identifying mental And awareness. Yeah, awareness. You know, I mean... What are behavioral signs in children we should be worried about? You know, when should when you be worried about your teenager? I'm a mother of teenagers, and you know. Oh, is that really too much time in their rooms? Are they really? Yeah. So, like, stay connected. Identify early signs and ask for help if you're worried about it. Yeah. Right? There's no harm in asking. Family doctors are equipped in these things. If you're really worried about somebody's safety, hospital emergency departments yeah. You know, I mean, they're not a great way pathway into mental health care, but they are a path. CAMH has an emergency department, for instance. Uh, so, to, you know many hospitals? Uh, but go to your family doctor if you're lucky enough to have one and, and talk to somebody. Don't bottle it up. And and there's lots of resources online. Some yeah. may be questionable, but if you go to reliable websites.
0: All right. We've got to start know. with CAMH.ca. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So you can start with CAMH.ca. There's lots of great resources there. But ask for help. And if honestly, if, if you're fearful for somebody's life, um, either the person with the illness or what they could do is is to get help immediately, because it's what we know how to, to treat.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So awareness, yeah. education, yeah. outreach. Yeah, stay connected. Yeah, be open minded. Yeah, well, About I mean, it. I think that curiosity mindset. Yeah.
1: It is. Don't judge. Be curious. It's a Ted Lasso quote. Be curious, not judgmental.
0: The we'll great, talk about that yeah. after. <laughs> the great philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of recognizing what you just spoke mm-hmm. about, about how this is something that is a movement. Yeah. What can parents like? What, how does yeah. How do we how do we create that cycle of change? Cycle, so let's yeah. say Cam H has been, yeah. you know, the leader like i mean aware of this right with all the research yeah but how do we become the catalyst to support? support
1: yeah so i mean it uh so encourage your kids to go into the mental health professions obviously we need a lot to learn about it yourself yeah and and the other thing i think is to be incredibly cognizant of is that if it exists in the children it probably exists in you too Right. You know, I mean, there's some genetic links between people and, yeah. it, you know, as I like, remember speaking to a child psychiatrist, it's almost invariably when they've diagnosed a mental illness in a young person, they find it in one of the parents. Yeah. So it's not just them, it's us too. And, and take stock of, you know, how you're feeling, your hope for the future. Yeah. Um, and what you do to preserve your own mental wellness. And again, mental wellness is one end of the spectrum and Sure, mindfulness or you know, physical exercise and good sleep are all good things to promote your own mental wellness. Yeah. Um, but mental illnesses are also things that won't be cured by mindfulness and yoga and, yeah, you know, I think that's an important distinction. Yeah, they're, they're illnesses, right? they're they're diagnosable. There's a, a, you know, there's a handbook, there's psychiatrists who diagnose these things and they take all kinds of shapes and forms, right? From depression to you know, you know, mood and anxiety disorders to the psychotic illnesses to yeah. you know personality disorders to substance use disorders, and many of them co-occur or kind of look the same. But it's it's a field of of, of medicine, and uh, and it takes you know in many instances multiple things yeah. to treat them and to maintain
0: the success of the treatment. So, thank you for that. I mean, with regards to recognizing, you know, the differences, mm-hmm. but also our system, like the healthcare system, Ontario's yeah. healthcare yeah. system, I don't think it's, it's struggling. Like one of the things I think we are seeing and not just in the healthcare sector, but in many yeah. other sectors is people retiring, people who yeah. can retire early are retiring yeah. early, which puts a greater strain on the people who are still left. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the people coming in, in the volumes that we need. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an employee, like there's a support system. Right. That's not there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's
1: infinite probably. And I mean, lots of people worked in healthcare workers, frontline workers worked incredibly hard during that whole pandemic and were exhausted. And as soon as they were done, you know, or we're semi-done, you know, the pandemic, we were so far behind Yeah, in so much of the care we were used to doing. All the surgeries, all the cancer surgery. I remember people would show up at the emergency department, Michael Guerin, whose heart attack had been experienced weeks before, or the stroke that was left yeah. unseen, and, and the cancers that they, far more advanced than they would have been because people, you know, I can remember going to get my screening colonoscopy during the uh, pandemic, and a place that was usually so incredibly busy was vacant. And I thought, people aren't going and doing these things during the pandemic. So it's catch up. So on top of all the pressures that they faced was this incredible demand and um, for people who wanted access to care and were very worried about their health. So a lot of people did, you know, choose to retire, choose to not work all the overtime they work during the pandemic to dial it back to take care of themselves a bit. And so for sure, there is a lack of um, human resources to the level at which people feel they need care. Yeah. And that's a hard problem to solve. So, you know, it takes, you know, eight years to form a psychiatrist or four years yeah. to, to form, and, and, and to remember that the health professionals that are coming into the market have been trained during this pandemic yeah. online. You know, they aren't the same or they don't have the same real life experiences that they would have had had they, you know, been
0: trained four years before that. Well, I know because I I was I was I remember listening to an interview or about how they're trying to shorten the training processes so that people can get get out there. And so it's kind of like we had a bit of a standstill with COVID It shut everything down but it's not necessarily, and the catch up, Yeah, that's a reality. Like, I don't know if we'll ever yeah. catch up. We just have to acknowledge where yeah. we are Yeah, and it's everywhere. Like, And this is a part of why I wanted to have this conversation yeah. with so many like sector leaders to say, I don't mm-hmm. think it's one no. silver bullet. It is everybody coming yeah. together, but we have to kind of say, we've got to shake things up and do something differently. For sure. For
1: sure. It, it, it's going to take a lot of approaches. It's people valuing the health professions and wanting to do that. It's, you know, maybe, and it's not uncontroversial, it's who do we allow to immigrate to this country? How quickly do we give them the credentials that they require to be able to work here? It's the burden on families in the meantime to take responsibility, caring for their parents or caring for their children or caring for their spouse or caring for their friends, right? Because there's not enough healthcare workers always to do that. Um, it's trying to be patient and thankful for the ones that are there, right? Because many are thinking, well, checking their pension statements saying, you know, I could go do that. Like I could go do something else, right? Yeah. Like it's hard work. I mean, nurses work 24 seven. They work 12 hour shifts in many instances, right? They work Christmas day. They work boxing day or they work New Year's day or they work, you know, Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a colleague, um, who said five OR nurses, quit one weekend to go work in private surgical centers because we're trying to catch up on things like cataract surgery and other minor surgeries. And, you know, and and guess what? Those nurses will make more than the ones that left the hospital and they'll never work another stat holiday again and they'll never work Christmas or New Year's or those things. They don't have to work overnight or be on call. You know, it's, uh, there are delicate balances for
0: people. It scares me.
1: Yeah, it is. And so, but they're fantastic careers right? The sciences are amazing. The, the teamwork, what people know, the science that's coming out about the brain, for instance, in yeah. mental health and addictions. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take, and it's not just catching up to where we were before. We're somewhere different, Yeah. Right? You know, our kids can't catch up for spending, you know, a year and a half on Zoom school. You know, they're not, they don't just bounce back from that. They're somewhere different and they are different people because of it. And I find sometimes the problem is we expect them to be at a certain place and doing certain things because that's what we did or that's yeah. what you expected them or that's yeah. why every other. you know I mean kids graduate from high school without writing an exam. you know my daughter started high school during the pandemic. None of that is normal high school experience. No, you know uh, be the, the good and the bad that comes with high school. they're just different and I think we also have to figure out what the new standards and expectations. Are, and they're different, and it doesn't mean they're better or worse. Yeah. They're different. And okay. I think we have to understand that CAMH does a lot of work uh, with youth wellness hubs. One just opened in Thorncliffe Park, called Y, who's many opened up 33 across the province, designed with youth for youth to get them to congregate, to come in and figure out what kinds of mental health supports might they need Yeah, under their terms, not mine. I'm old. They look at me and they think I'm incredibly old.
0: <laughs> allow them. Allow yeah, them to my daughter define, thinks
1: that yeah, too. Of course, you know. Didn't you think that of your parents? Right. You know. I mean, we have to reframe this. Is what do they want? What will help them? Yeah. And you know, I mean, to to live, to manage, to diagnose a mental illness, to a- adequately treat yeah. a mental illness takes a lot of things. Right. It takes obviously a medical professional and often the drugs and the therapies. This you know psychopharmacology that goes with it. It requires often, you know, what we call the talk therapies, like cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavior therapy, the therapies of it. It takes your family sticking with you. These are not easy dynamics in families and people with serious mental illness is very hard. And the fourth element is to keep young people in schools or in their jobs or in their university programs, because when they lose all that, it's even harder for them to redefine their lives. And You know, a small part of that is a healthcare system, the way we imagine it. So much of it is education systems, employment systems, housing solutions, you know, interventions for families. You know, the the talk therapies are largely privatized. There's some subsidized ones, but a lot of it is private, right? You know, it's $250 an hour probably for a psychologist. Yeah. Right? A private psychologist to do that. So there's so much we just, as a system, have to piece together when I worked in a cancer hospital, you know the precision and understanding of the biology of the cancer and the testing and the stuff and the protocols for dealing with it. And if you treated it precisely and it was the right kind of cancer, it usually most cases goes away or is minimized. And or if you require palliative care, we could give you superior palliative care as hard as that would be. Right, we can have people in a place like CAMH for a year helping them. And if they go home or go back to unhealthy environments, or have nowhere to go home to, you know, none of that sticks. None of the treatments and systems and routines. It's like undone. Undone. And so that's why at a place like CAMH, we're so focused on what we call the recovery model. So it's learning to live with your mental illness and how to manage it, but giving you the skills and the tools to reconnect you. You can get a, a cooking certificate from George Brown College it can't So when you leave, you have a certificate from a recognized educational institution oh, really to, get a, to get a job. You know, a lot of people lost their connection to music or to art because of the right. years of mental illness. Like it it takes so many other factors and systems to allow people to live with their mental illnesses. They're possible,
0: but it's a totally different lens on what a healthcare system is. And and that's what I, I really want to talk about. Yeah. Like and and we are talking about it. And that idea of something you said to me that really stuck is like, you know, when we go to the yeah. hospital and we're, you know, someone had a surgery or something. Yeah. Oh, well, let's just go to the gift store. Yeah. Let's, let's pick up a, yeah. like chocolates or pick up a card or pick up something yeah. like they need it. CAMH has doesn't no have a gift shop.
1: That's right. CAMH is Canada's largest mental health hospital, an emergency department, five, over 500 beds for people who are admitted for their mental illness. And we treat far more on an outpatient basis. And there is no gift shop. Because there's not enough people who come by and who... You now we're in the middle of West Queen West, there's beautiful shops and things. But many hospitals in Toronto are in neighborhoods where you yeah. can pick up a bouquet of flowers or whatever. So yeah, the degree to which families are no longer involved with people or their families have caused the people harm yeah, is... Uh, You know, important, it's significant. And so we've got to, you know, find new family, allow people to create new social connections. Maybe the break patterns and linkages that have
0: caused people. I mean, that's so profound, right? Mm -hmm. And when you talk about a recovery program, so much of like, you know, if someone gets a surgery, they go for physiotherapy, and then the family, like, oh, you got or if you if you have diabetes. Hey, your family as a whole. Should try and change their eating patterns to support you. But what I'm hearing here with no gift shop, like that's huge. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How does that, you know, when you have a recovery program, it's not just you dealing with what you have, but figuring out what supports are left and creating new supports. Like that is so hard. Like I feel like that recovery process is probably really challenging.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And and people with mental illness are, you know, have such judgment, you know, I mean, I I don't know what the stats are, but I certainly know anecdotally how often families break up, parents break up because of the different approach to managing a young person's addiction. Yeah. Right. Do you take away their phone? Do you not? Do you, you know, force them to go to school? Do you not? Do you, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's not a clear pathway the way it is with a cancer treatment, for instance, yeah. And I often say to people, you know, if your child is ill, get yourself some help. This will not be easy. We often blame ourselves, right? Did yeah. I do something? Maybe I wasn't home enough. Maybe I was angry too often. Maybe, you know.
0: Yeah. You like, know,
1: maybe arguing with my spouse damages my... Like, you know, there's a lot, right? You'd never say, did my working too hard cause my child to have cancer? Yeah, uh, no, that's so true. But what are these? Did I not pick up soon enough? Did I not, you know... And as I said earlier, often there's underlying mental illness in some of us, some of the parents as well.
0: I mean, I know someone whose child was diagnosed with autism and then upon reflection realized, oh, Mm. I just, I have that. And I have just coped without realizing I was coping. And all Mm -hmm. those stresses, like, you know, one of the things in terms of survival, like we live in a society that's moving so much faster. Yeah and the demands feel greater like even when you think about people driving like toronto driving it's like people have so many things on their mind they're racing they're trying to cut traffic because yes. they're late traffic in and of itself is always horrible yeah. um but the underlying factor of time like where do you find that t- okay my kid's been diagnosed with this i've got a f- do all this yeah. care. I've got a job. I've got to put a roof over my like, yeah. like, there are all of these factors, which Absolutely. are feel like there's a weight. Yeah, that where do I? Okay, that's a great idea. But I don't have time.
1: Yeah, no, they're they're intensive, right? You know, like, how do you support a child who has a major mental illness? It's intensive, right? How do you parent a child? Yeah, Who has a major, you know, some of the rules are different. You know, I think of parents of kids with ADHD, right, in the developing brain. Or, you know, they're not one person in five in any given year will have a mental illness. One in two in their lifetime will. These are common disorders. One in five. In any given year. And one in two in a lifetime.
0: That's a 50-50 shot.
1: It is, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, many are on a, you know, lower end spectrum. I mean, it's one in a hundred to have yeah. a disease like schizophrenia. Um, but yeah, you know, there's lots that can be unsettling in life. So how do we prepare? Well, I think we've got to learn. We've got to find the warning signs. We've got to figure out conditions that minimize the likelihood of it developing. We've got to to go back to the, you know, issue for children. You know, most of the kids with autism, we can figure it out by age two. Age two. Yeah, ish. You know, are they developing speech patterns or their social conditions? Yeah. Right. Some kids are slightly different. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, things like depression and anxiety appear slightly older. Things like eating disorders older than that. Psychotic illnesses a little bit older than that. And some of them, you know, start as a kid with a behavioral problem. Okay. And you think, wow, what can happen? And it's not just to punish and isolate kids. Yeah. to figure out how to get them supports. And I've spoken to teachers to say, you know, it's hard enough to teach a class. It's hard enough. You know, they have 30 kids and they have all kinds of, you know, their inclusive environments and kids with, you know, developmental disabilities and others not coping at home and those kinds of things. Like, you can't expect me to do anything else. But, you know, the Ontario government's announced some increased supports to schools. I think we've got to get wrap our arms around a school system and figure out how to help people.
0: Because that's really where we could diagnose it. We could help
1: minimize the signs. signs. Yeah, you know, and understand what it would take to support kids, right? We don't produce enough child psychiatrists in this country. We don't. Why do you think that is? Well, it's a complicated, well, so I I, I feel it was specifically with respect to child psychiatry. I think we are now understanding that mental illnesses are a chronic disease of the young. Yeah. We now know what we're looking for a lot better earlier in life. We're picking it up in the adults and saying, whoa, now that you have it, could it be in your children? So I think part yeah. of it is that. And sometimes it doesn't, we'll never have enough child psychiatrists to do all that. Yeah. And some of it is diagnosable by a family doctors. Some of it, you know, we could wrap supports around mm. schools differently.
0: I mean, we also know in, we've got like an attrition of teachers we who do. are leaving Tough who are like, what, you want me to do all these things? But it's not even in the, the education system, even in daycare yeah. providers. Right. Right. Like all these people are in these essential roles. Essential. Are burnt out. Yeah. Are, you know, f- you know, trying to make ends meet. And I'm like, I can't do it with the salary yeah. or I can't do it with the expectations that are yeah. placed upon me. And so I think when you say we got to wrap our arms around the education system. We do. I'm a fundamental believer, you know, that the education system is that first line of defense of creating a strong, stable society. Yeah, it is, it is. You know,
1: and it's in some ways too late. It's not too late because of course you diagnose and treat in hospitals every day, but there were warning signs, right? People will say that, well, I wondered, you know, if my teenager spending too much time in their room, I was worried about what they were doing after school. I, you know, I think in sport, that's why sports teams, or, you know, like all kinds of places, least the our youth congregate in spaces together right in schools in universities or colleges you know to a high proportion but i and and i think at times we have to rethink and it's easy for me to say but rethink um those systems you know how much pressure on kids to perform on tests or exams or you know like look at the grades it takes to get into university
0: yeah you
1: know it's like 95 to get into some of these programs what have those kids done but study
0: to get Yeah, and not not develop the social skills skills or the other aspects that are required to survive as a human being
1: yeah you know and all that pressure to perform on the test of the exam yeah and i think you know i'm an adult who's had a pretty successful career nothing has been as stressful in some ways as studying for final exams
0: yeah, that's like true. I relate to that for sure. Yeah,
1: like life is busy. There's times when I have big deadlines, times where I have to perform, times, but I, in my own experience, not as hard as it was to pass some yeah. of those university exams.
0: How we measure. I mean, I, I've yeah. i had the fortune of um, studying in a different school system. I, mean, like I remember when I was doing my master's, uh, master courses in Denmark and the way that they do is oral tests. There you go which, you know, you think it's so interesting because in North America, we have so many tests that are written test-based. And it was interesting that the professor, like you sit in front of a professor in a few panels and then you they ask you questions yeah. and then you talk about it. Yeah. Like as opposed to rote memory and memorizing. Memory, yeah. or, and
1: everything's in their phone. Like everything is in your phone now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of stress and, and it doesn't test how much you remembered. A day no. later, a week later, a year later. How do you apply it? How do you apply it? It's, you know, and, and so what are the standards? What And and these are kids now whose social development in school has been disrupted. And yes, some kids probably did okay to move to virtual school and back. Yeah. Uh, but I think many haven't. The
0: resiliency piece. Mm. You know, the anxiety that comes with performance. Um and also, I feel like the anxiousness that, yeah. that comes with it, but also to some degrees, I feel like one thing for me is like, how do we build greater resiliency in amongst our children? Because like the shy away, you know, like yeah. I have a little kid who's like, yeah. see someone and, you know, of course, like all other families, we isolated in our yeah. own bubble. So we didn't see very many yeah. people. So that, you know, what you had mentioned about yeah. signs of kids, like not waving. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah,
1: and and I think resiliency is a tough word. I mean, resilient means something bad happens and you bounce right. back. Right. And I don't think that that's can be the expectation. Right. We're, we've gone somewhere and we're going to figure a new path. Right. A new standard. And I think for many people, you know, it, they or they feel that they'll fail because they won't be where they were before. And then many people in certain social circumstances will be forever behind that. As you say, certain groups of uh, certain economic levels, to be perfectly honest, could bubble. Yeah. I would think sometimes it takes a lot of people out working to keep Sarah Downey at home, feeling good and safe, or Sarah Downey's family, you know? Yeah. And that wasn't the case for so many people, right, who had to go out and work every day, or, or kindergarten teachers teaching kindergarten with their own young children at home. In the background, yeah. In the background, you know, were those jobs not hard enough as they were? And we did that to save lives, and the evidence, I think, is pretty good that Canada did a good job of saving lives and doing those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got to look on the margins, we've got to see the trauma in people, we have to find that people are isolated because they're more likely to have a social, a mental health problem. Yeah. Right, because of trauma than people who've been, you know, protected to some degree, The trauma and, and wealth doesn't mean you you're, you won't have trauma. I don't mean that at all. Yeah, yeah, right. There's lots of things in people's lives that have caused them trauma. But everything we have to do is tra- needs to be trauma informed. You know, we judge a lot of people with mental illness. I was, I said to you earlier, I was on the subway Friday night coming home at eleven o'clock at night. You know, in my car there was somebody clearly, you know, like singing and chirping and doing things that are odd and another guy who um, had a hospital blanket on him and a hospital tag on his wrist sleeping on the subway. And I thought, you know, where are they gonna sleep tonight? What happens to them tonight? Yeah. Right? And how terrible it must be. We've seen at CAMH a 700% increase of crystal methamphetamine in the emergency department since 2014. I think, why are people using crystal meth? it's incredibly cheap. You can make it, you know, at home. In a way, and it's a stimulant drug, right? People are trying to stay awake in the street, streets of Toronto to survive the night to live the next day. So, you know, there's a lot of judgment of people who have substance use problems, and mental health disorders. Not all want treatment. Some may. Yeah. Right? And it's it takes, for sure, finding housing for people, but it's only one part of the recipe, right? It's finding treatment and compassion and community. Yeah and hope and recovery yeah and and, and it's got to be so much more than what hospitals do
0: it's it it is true because i mean when you think about the example that you talked about about ttc taking yeah. that um oftentimes a lot of people don't want to go to the shelters yeah right because they're like oh i don't feel safe there yeah and so what do they do okay i'll take a streetcar yeah you know that runs 24 yeah. hours and go from one end to the other at least i'll stay warm toronto has some cold winters yeah. And at least I'll stay warm for an hour and a half ride. Right. But even if you think about the interrupted sleep Mm -hmm. and not having enough sleep that, that like as a parent with a kid that would keep waking up, my days would be so brutal from that interrupted sleep. Absolutely. And housing. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you know, all of these are, are so interconnected. Like, I feel like it's, it's actually a cyclical piece, but there's so many components Yeah. That I'm like, well, how do we lift the city up? How do we yeah. make things better? Like like, and the one thing I hear from you very clearly is we need a different pathway. Like yeah. what is existing now is a systemic structure that isn't working because life has changed.
1: Yeah. And we have to engage them to understand what would help them and not just judge it. Right. So the
0: stigma piece. The stigma,
1: and you know, I mean, do we talk to people who are in those conditions? You know, we judge them, yeah, frequently, right? You had a choice, but to not get started on crystal meth or heroin yeah. or cannabis, or but you know, when when we look at CAMH at the use of substances, right, from grade seven to grade twelve, it starts, right, and it's not because they're curious. I mean, they're risk takers. Yeah, you know? at that age, of course. Weren't we all? Like, really? Didn't we all try stuff that age? It's, you know, defining yourself and being a rebel and it's part of your social development. Uh, but they get started on things that'll really change their brain paths. You know, in my day, you had access-ish to alcohol. You had access to cigarettes, right? Neither them very good, but neither of them were likely to kill you. It, immediately, over time, <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> but now, look, you know, the crystal meth or, you know... Uh, e-cigarettes that are even worse than oh, yeah. like cigarettes one. and uh, cannabis, right? And the, now the addiction to cannabis we see. So it takes a lot, right, to, uh, to get at those issues. And what are young people masking? Is it just risk-taking, like, let me see what it feels like?
0: Yeah.
1: Or is it some other, you know, like, I can't cope at school. I mean, it's it was interesting. When you look at young people and their admission to hospital for mental health disorders, you know what... It's, it's a few weeks after school starts. It's around exam time. Like, mm. yeah, you know, this is where problems get exas- exacerbated,
0: right? So if we could, like, you know, if you, if you could just like wave yeah. a magic wand and make yeah. everything happen, yeah. um, what would that look like? So, yeah, so. Education system was something uh, yes, I said. Yeah,
1: I, I think we have to wrap our arms around both our seniors who I think are really suffering and very lonely.
0: You know, in the UK, they had a minister of loneliness. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's really yeah. profound, but also much needed. Like that was, yeah. that move was really great. Like when I lived in Denmark, yeah. you know, there was a program where if to get housing for a young person, they would give them an apartment, but a part of their job was to go and visit these seniors, seniors. and spend some time with yeah. them with yeah. a meal. And that yeah. was, that was the social prescription.
1: Yes, yes. We need compassionate societies, and I think we've got to figure out how we get to and support young people and young brains so that they grow up to have control over the lies in the world. Honestly, they're inheriting from us. You know, with the conflict in the world and the state of the environment and the post-pandemic world, there's lots of reason for alarm. 59% of high school students in Ontario feel no hope for their future. 59%. It's the worst it's ever been. 40 years of surveying well so maybe it's a blip who knows we're serving yeah uh, you know the survey results for the next one will soon be out maybe it's a post-pandemic blip who knows but you know we've got to figure those things out and rethink some of the social fabric yeah i think that's the and,
0: piece that's so important And this
1: is a movement you know i uh, my uh, daughter is coaching rock climbing i said take oh, cool. mental health 101 you don't know what you see right like why wouldn't you yeah. Like it's online. I mean, she's only 17, but still, yeah. why don't we all take it? I've taken it. Yeah, no, hundred like, percent. How do you have conversations? I check in with people. They, they during the pandemic, we used to say that all the time. Like just go check, call them, see how they're doing. Calling is old
0: school, but yeah, yeah. You know, text them, text them or, or, or whatever like that you know, is. like are
1: you okay and listen to them? Are you okay? And if not okay, how can I help you get some help? You know, and to make people feel safe to tell you what they and it and sometimes it's asking the question more
0: than once. It's true, right? Because right. people, for cultural reasons, stigma reasons, may not yeah. feel safe to share. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. themes that are coming up for me is the desire to feel safe. Yeah. And, and that can mean so many things, like safe, yeah. safety in a home, physically, emotionally, mentally, but also a space where people can fail. Yeah. Like, not be perfect. I yes. don't have to be yeah. perfect. I don't, like, the exam. Oh, like... If I don't pass the stakes of being really high of getting into the right school for the right thing. But and it's also not about catching up because we're everybody for a period of two and a half years, three years, whatever it is, experienced that shutdown.
1: Yeah. And and you know, if you look at absenteeism rates in schools, right? You know, we did a whole shock to their systems, right? I mean there's a lot of absenteeism. And what are high school, you know, high schools doing about that? Um, and again, not easy. You know, school boards are dealing with a lot of really tough things, not enough teachers, burnt-out teachers, class
0: sizes, you know, like it's totally true. Like I don't envy it. And I, I I'm so grateful for all the frontline service workers, yeah. like on every sector. And this is why I have a commitment to let's just be in focus, let's put a lens yeah. on on what life really looks like. Yeah. What does what does your life look yeah. like, you know, yeah. as a frontline person? Yeah. And,
1: and on a positive note, I would say in the area of mental illness, you know, I worked at CAMH before I worked at Michael Guerin, so I've gone back to CAMH. And the brain science that's coming out of CAMH and other places is incredible, right? Yeah. You know, we know a lot more about hearts and lungs and bones than we yeah. do about the brain, which is the most complex organ. But I'm actually really excited about what we're discovering and figuring out, you know, we're identifying, you know, impacts of of things like concussions on brains or Mm. trauma on brains or understanding how the brain starts to work, how it absorbs different drugs, how your genetic conditions and tests will affect the way you absorb and metabolize drugs. You know, we do a lot of health policy work. Um, And I I think this is the, you know, we're we're starting to figure it out. And my hope is that the diagnoses will be more specific, the treatments then can be more specific, that they'll be easier to maintain and to stay on top of. But I'd say I feel optimistic. I can't believe the talent in our organization and many others, people choosing to study the brain and hoping that it will be fundamentally different,
0: right, for the next generation, In terms of what we understand and how we'll treat it. Well, I love that, right? Like, because, you know, having this conversation is a difficult conversation, but recognizing that there's ways that we can make it better. And there are people, there's so many good people who are dedicating their lives because they know my research will be able to make a difference. Yeah. My presence, my conversation, and even us as regular human beings, calling someone, checking, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Okay. Like, a wellness check or something. Yes, absolutely. Right. Like something as simple as that. Like, I think, you know, you've talked about education system. Let's wrap our arms around the education system and what we can do to support it and recognize we need to have different ways of moving forward. Um, I just wanted to ask you about Mm. seniors. What do you think we should do for our seniors? Yeah,
1: so I think they're pretty isolated. You know, I feel it with my own mother, you know, who's alone in her house and won't leave. And I, uh, you know... um, we need system, better systems for seniors. I've thought, you know, we've built youth wellness hubs. Youth wellness yeah. hubs Ontario is a big, you know, solution for young people in different communities. It's almost like we need a seniors wellness hubs. And many great organizations do lots of great programming in these spaces. It's not to say that, yeah. Um, but uh, I think they've been impacted totally. In, you know. Hard. It's hard. You know, they need to stay connected to family. Families are virtual. Technology starts to fail. You know, my mother never properly learned to use a computer. And Thank goodness don't... for a phone, I, I learned to use a phone.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. you know, so at least I can call her. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's very hard, right? I think, you know, the rates of dementia, right? The aging population, the aging boomers.
0: Yeah, that's a reality, yeah, right? Yeah, like We're going to have to change yeah, that really fast. Yeah, dementia
1: you know, uh, naturally occurring retirement communities, we need to be sure we have good policies for seniors to not be alone in the activities that will keep their social connections going because we know that makes a huge difference.
0: Absolutely. There is actually a Japanese um, restaurant that employs seniors. Oh, wow. And I think like, I don't know what, this, what it was, but it was something about how a lot of them have dementia. Yeah. But the fact that they're out there serving right. people... I think they're like, oh, 70% of the time they get the order wrong. Yeah. But the cu- the customers who come there yes. are that. like, oh, that's fine, <laughs> right? Okay, I got rice instead of noodles. That's totally fine. I'll enjoy it. But it's the yeah. interaction. Oh, yeah. Even it if it's just an hour or two a day. Yeah. And for me, as as per- a person raised in a culture where we revere our seniors, right? Yes. They are our elders. Yeah. Um, culturally, you know, I, I have a warm spot for seniors. Yeah. Like I really want to make a difference for seniors. Yeah. Um, and th- that matters. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what can we do to help seniors? You yes, know, and, sure. and and we, you know, yes. sometimes I feel the stigma around becoming old. Like my kids, like, oh, you're old. Yes, <laughs> and of I'm course. like, yes, but I have I've I've learned yes. Yes, something You know? Yeah.
1: I mean, we used to do this when I worked at Michael Guerin around flu season, um, pre-pandemic. You know, a lot of seniors would die because of the flu every year. And so we'd get out and we try to vaccinate them in their homes. And, and we got into this habit of taking a, an occupational therapist with, you know, nurses to go into homes and just check, are the cupboards bare? Are there trip hazards Are there things that if you're going to go and, you know, it's not easy to navigate, right? For many people in the winter, if you don't drive, if you don't feel physically strong. Yeah. If you don't. And so if you're going to be locked up a bit more, do you even have the things that it takes to, to live? Right. And if you don't have family or people around you, how lonely and incredibly scary that must be. Yeah. So I love the idea that you said of the young people get housing and in return for which they help out. We've we've gotta, you know, we've gotta lean in a bit and remember how scary and lonely it is for many people.
0: Yeah. Like and even for me from a housing perspective as a realtor, there have been so many homes that that elder like seniors you know their partner has passed on their kids have moved on but they occupy a three-bedroom four-bedroom home but they can only really access one floor but that's their community for the past 30 40 50 years and they're like where am I gonna go like where do you know and that's a real struggle and I think we have to answer that question because it's, I mean, apart from the fact that we have a housing affordability crisis, we have a housing yeah. crisis, um, these these seniors need yeah. to feel safe in their community. They need yeah. to still be a part of it. But we need to rethink, yeah. like, do you share it? Do you rent it out? Like, you yeah. know, so that there's some sort of income. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and, so and that's not easy at some points in your life to start to live
1: with people. Right. You know, I mean, um, and I think many of us need to make those decisions much sooner. It's true. Like right. I'm in the sandwich generation. Yeah, right. And we're taking so am I taking care of the young and taking care of the old and and I I look and I think you know for some people it's it's too late it's too hard to make that no. and and or the, maybe they've never lived in those kinds of settings. I mean, I went to university. I lived in a residence. Yeah, right. You know, maybe someday I'll feel that. You know. Like slightly nicer residents, I hope. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and, and if you know, at least, a you know, a kettle that works and a bit of a kitchen, but they're really important. It's a recognition of how important social interaction is to brain health. Yeah, that's no. so clear. And if you're not going to have it because you're in your beautiful home all by yourself with not enough people around you, it's going to affect your outlook and your ability to, th- to thrive. It,
0: it makes dementia far worse. There was um, a story that I heard about a woman who, uh, you know, a lot of women who put their lives, their careers on hold to raise their families yep. and now are on a pension that's quite limited. Yep. And with housing prices, rental prices surging, what they can actually afford moving from a house to one floor, to a basement. And there was a woman who said, let's get together a bunch of other yeah. women to do that. And yeah. I think we need more supports yes. like that yeah, like and to formalize yeah. that. So it's not just like one-offs where someone has the energy to do it, yeah. but there's a need for that yes. all across. And I think there is a message of hope here yeah. that there are so, like I've had the privilege of speaking and knowing so many amazing leaders like yourself who are like, we gotta break the mold. Like we gotta yeah. like not work in silos. Like, how do we bring people together? And that work is yeah. happening. Yeah. And on a much more grassroots basis, we as human, as as common people can do something as simple as we doing sure that can. check-in. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So with every interview, yeah. I like to end with a quote. Right. And you kind of like already gave the quote away, right? Do you so? Do you
1: want to share it with me? Sure. So uh, I don't. I don't have a single quote that governs my life. Yeah. Um, but uh, the great philosopher Ted Lasso had a lot of um, amazing quotes during that television series, and I was a huge fan of it. But my favorite one, I think, is "Be curious, not judgmental." And I think when it comes to mental illness and the state of mental health in our country, in our city, in our families. We've got to be curious and helpful, not judgmental. Nobody chooses this. It's not their fault. They experience that and we've got to reach out and explore it and create safe spaces for people to talk about it and to seek help.
0: It is so on point, like it is so profound. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode. You want to make sure to like, subscribe, and share so that you don't miss out on the next In Focus episode on topics that matter to you.